great morning. Uh, again, so thankful uh, to be here. It's always an honor to open up God's word uh, together with you guys this morning. Um, Pastor Jim will be back with us soon uh, after his uh, sabbatical comes to an end. And I have to admit to you, he has saved the best for last. Of course, I'm talking about Doug Kimsel preaching next week, uh, not this week. So, uh, you know, if you're scoring at home, that is brown nosing your boss level 12. Okay, so there it is. I've really enjoyed this series. It's been really fun. Hillcrest is blessed with some, of, uh, some, some godly men who love the word. And it's, really, it's been really cool to see this series from such a multitude of perspectives as we've been looking at these minor prophets. This morning, I hope you walk away with something uh, today as well, whether uh, that is a challenge from God's word or a solid nap. Either way, I hope that you walk away with something. So this morning, as we continue our series focusing in on the minor prophets, we are going to be in the book of Haggai. Now, in your Bible, if you will find where the New Testament and the Old, or the Old Testament ends and the New Testament begins, turn back three books and you will find Haggai. Now, it is really easy to miss, seeing as it probably takes up a combined two pages in your entire Bible, um, two chapters, roughly 38 verses in the entire book. However, don't let its size fool you because this book is packed full of truth for us today. You know, for a lot of us, this week marks a form of a, a reset button on the year, right? Summer is coming to an end, school starts back up, schedules are returning back to normal, and although we are a little more than halfway through 2019. It feels kind of like the halfway mark, right? Now, for some of you in here, 2019 has been a great year for you thus far. And so for you, the thought of a reset is really no big deal at all. But for others of you in here, 2019 has been a really hard year thus far. Maybe the hardest year that you have ever faced. And so for you, the thought of a reset is a very welcomed idea. But regardless of where you are, the Lord has a message for you from the book of Haggai as we look at this idea of renewing our faith. And so what I want you to do is look at your neighbor, go ahead and stare at him in the face, look at him right now. You know, I've gotta ask you to do something awkward this morning, so here it is. You need to look at him in the face and you say, hey, wake up and listen to that good looking bald dude. Okay, do we do that? Okay, good. So let me bring you up to speed on what's happening in the book of Haggai. God had returned the people of Israel from exile. It had been almost 20 years and they still had not rebuilt the destroyed temple. According to verse four in Haggai, the temple is still lying in ruins, still just, just, a, 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 just in a pile of rubble. 
Now, the temple was supposed to be the center of their community. It would be the place where they would worship and enjoy God. It, it was the place where they would teach their kids about God. It was where strangers from other nations could learn about God's love for them. It was in every way the center of their community. And it was the place from which they would organize themselves to take care of the poor and needy in their community. But it's been 20 years and they still have not rebuilt the temple. And so let's explore together why this happened and what we can learn from this. So the Lord gives this message to Haggai to deliver to the governor whose name is Zerubbabel. And so read with me uh, in verses, uh, in chapter one, verses two through 10. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The, the people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. But then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. And this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills and bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's army. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. So right out of the gate, we can see and learn from the, this the importance of renewed priorities. Renewed priorities. The first statement in this divine message went right to the heart of the problem and exposed the hypocrisy and unbelief of the people. You see, the reason the people had not started rebuilding the temple was because they prioritized themselves and their stuff over the kingdom. Now, there's several problems here, but one thing I want to point out is the blatant inconsistency. You see, they said it wasn't time to build the house of the Lord, but it was time to build their own houses. And according to uh, the, uh, verse 4, these were not just normal homes. They were luxurious homes. Your version of scripture may say paneled homes. Regardless of the translation, the, 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 the idea here is that these homes were designed for kings. And they were building them for themselves. And what is even more concerning is their knowledge of what the law stated in Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10, that says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. And as a result of their misplaced priorities, we can see the result right there in verse six, where it says, you have planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you are not satisfied. You drink, but you are still thirsty. And you put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. And your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. 
And you see, the sad thing is, is that it didn't have to be this way. Right, the law clearly stated in Leviticus 26, the blessings for obedience, but also the punishments for disobedience. So these people, they knew what was at stake, yet they chose to build their personal kingdom first instead of God's kingdom. Now, before we roast these people too hard, it's painfully obvious that the nation had its priorities confused, right? We could all agree on that. But the question I wanna ask us this morning is, are God's people today any different? You see, for the past 18 years, I've had the privilege of working alongside families. First in preschool and elementary families and now currently with middle school, high school and and college families. And over these past 18 years, one of the most heartbreaking things that I have witnessed is the drastic decreased commitment to the kingdom of God and the drastic increased commitment to the kingdom of self. You see, we have churches full of families who desperately need to hit the reset button, especially when it comes to the priorities of the kingdom of God. And the consequences are being felt today, just like they were in the book of Haggai. They harvested few crops. We are harvesting heavy hearts. We are harvesting anxiety. We are harvesting depression. We are harvesting broken families. We are harvesting a godless society. And it begs the question, is this a result of us focusing more on building our personal kingdoms and not focusing enough on building his kingdom? Because the harsh truth is, We are raising a generation of kids whose families are more concerned with a grade point average or a batting average than they are about building the kingdom of God. And listen, I get it. Both of my kids play sports. My wife is a school teacher. Academics are important to us. The disciplines, the learned disciplines that sports provide, very important to us. They are just not the most important. Because here's the deal, academics is a good gift, right? Sports, it's a good gift. They are both good gifts. They just make terrible gods. Because here's the deal. One day, my Hollis and my Merrick are going to stand before King Jesus. And at that moment, it will not matter how many points Merrick scored in his basketball game or how many academic scholarships Hollis got. The only thing that will matter is their relationship with Jesus and their passionate pursuit of him. And for a lot of well-meaning Christian families, this priority is out of balance. Or or what about money, right? What about money? You know, as a society, we are arguably wealthier than we have ever been and probably stingier with our resources than we have ever been. I was researching some stats from this past year on how Christians do with with, uh, generous living. Listen to this. Only 10 to 25% of Christians tie to their church. That means at best, at best, only a quarter of believers 
give. I found this interesting. People who make $20,000 or less are eight times more likely to give than people who make $75,000 or more. Eight out of 10 people who give to their local church have zero credit card debt. We are building our personal kingdoms and neglecting his kingdoms. And some of you in here today, you would say, well, I mean, that, that's, that, the tithe, man, that's Old Testament law, right? We are, we're not under the law. We're under Jesus now, right? And, and I would say to you, you are exactly right. We are not under the law. We are under Jesus, and we have been freed from the law. But just because we are not under the law doesn't mean that it is no longer a guide for us, right? Like, hey, I'm, I'm free from the law. You know, I'm under Jesus, so I can go murder and steal now, right? Like, no, that, that God, God doesn't change, right? His plans don't change. And all through the Bible, not just in the law, the tithe is what God's people give to God's work. Like I would remind you that Abraham tithed prior to the law even being a thing, right? And then Moses taught about it. And then we read in Matthew 23, uh, verse 23, where Jesus actually commands it, right? Plus, giving in the Bible is always supposed to be in response to what God has done for you. You see, the love of God should take you farther in giving than the law ever could. You know, it's always puzzling to me that we, as followers of Jesus, we could trust him with our eternal everything, yet for some reason think that he is not able to handle our bank accounts. It doesn't make sense, right? So the question I would have for you is what priorities do you need to shift around so that you can be a more generous person? You know, another area that where we personal kingdom build is emotional and mental health. You see, we are carrying around burdens that you and I were not designed to carry around. We are trying to handle things that we're not designed to handle. You know, Satan is, is, is tricky. You know, he loves to get us all trapped up in our heads. And he isolates us and he, and he tells us that we are the only one who struggles. Right? He lies to us. And he likes to just get us by ourselves and say, hey, you know your friend, like they don't, they don't, you're the only one that has this problem. You're the only family that fights. You're the only one who has kids that are acting crazy. You are the only one who's having financial troubles. You are, you, 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 and we believe it. And then this cycle of anxiety and worry and depression, it begins. And listen to me, the chaos around you it should not override the calm inside of you. You see, following Jesus, it's not a burden. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, where he says, Jesus is saying this, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and you carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I am humble and I'm gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you 
is light. Guys, listen, trying to do it ourselves is not working. And here's the thing. None of us would say that we are intentionally working toward a negative or difficult harvest. None of us wake up in the morning and think, you know what, I really want to reap a bad harvest today. That sounds fun, right? None of us say that. But we are unintentionally building a negative harvest by an intentional choice of placing God and his kingdom building as a residual priority instead of a reigning priority. And we have got to stop building our temples first and get our priorities shifted back to building his kingdom first. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. And so the first thing we can learn from Haggai is the need for renewed priorities. But here's another lesson for us in the second chapter of Haggai, and that lesson is the need for renewed perspective. Renewed perspective. Let me ask you a question. Um, Are there any old school Nintendo fans in the house this morning? Like 1984 Nintendo, right? Okay, like the original? Okay, so it's amazing. You guys remember the game Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? Okay, some of you are like, I have no clue. You need to find that out. Like, it's, it's a great game. So I'm a great father, and so my son is now learning how to play Nintendo, right? Okay, these Xboxes and Switches that are great, but I take him back to the originals, right? So he's learning to play Nintendo, and he has started, my oldest son Hollis has started playing Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Now, if you have ever played Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, you know that it is a pretty, the first couple of rounds are real easy. You can advance through them, but then you start getting into more difficult boxers. And, and you have to, uh, to beat them just without any cheat codes is next to impossible. And so Nintendo, or I guess it was uh, whoever created Punch-Out, they have built in these little secrets when you're fighting these people to know like, how to knock them out quickly. For instance, right, when you are fighting Don Flamingo, you dodge his first uppercut and then you can alternate between left and right jabs and he can't block them and you just keep hitting him until you knock him completely out, right? It's, it's a secret pointer in there, right? Or like King Hippo, when, you're pun- when you punch King Hippo in the stomach, he falls down and he's so large he can't get back up. So it's an automatic 10 count and you win, right? Here's, the th- here's my point. Without knowing these pointers, this game is really difficult to advance past the first few fighters. But one of the things as a dad that I've enjoyed watching is every time Hollis learns one of these little secrets uh, to winning the round, it gives him more and more confidence for the next round that he steps into, right? And in a lot of ways, the book of Haggai is like this, right? Chapter one comes out with this haymaker, this, this, this uppercut, right? So chapter two then starts kind of letting us in on some pointers to encourage us in these reset periods of life. And so the Lord gives another message to Haggai to deliver to Zerubbabel. And we read about it in in chapter two, verses three uh, through nine. It says, does anyone remember this house, this temple in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It, It must seem like nothing at all. 
But now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. And now get to work. For I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's army. My spirit remains among you just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid for this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth and the oceans and the dry land and I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's army. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's army. And the future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's army, have spoken. And so rather then ignore the problem of discouragement that was sure to come when the people contrasted these two temples. The prophet Haggai, he faced the problem head on. Haggai, he did not deny the fact that the new temple wasn't its former splendor, right? But it didn't matter because times may have changed, but the ministry went on. And the important thing was that this was God's work, And they could depend on him to help them finish it. Haggai's commands from God was to be strong and get to work. And notice that he gave this command, be strong, three times. Those two words, be strong, they were very significant to these people. You see, when the Jews celebrated the Feast of the Tabernacles, they had the book of Deuteronomy read to them. And as a result, they would have heard the record of the three times that Moses told Joshua to be strong. No doubt they would have remembered the three times that the Lord told Joshua to be strong. And when King David charged Solomon with the task of building the original temple, three times he told his son to be strong. Be strong wasn't an empty phrase. It was an important part of their own Jewish history. You see, it's, it's one thing to tell people to be strong and, and quite something else to give them a solid foundation for those words of encouragement. And Haggai, he finished these commands with a beautiful reminder on how and why they should be strong. In verse four, when he says, for I am with you, says the Lord. And friends, as we look at areas of our lives that need a reset, those same words are what we need to hear today. Be strong and get to work. Because here's the deal, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves by comparing what our families do to what other families do. And social media has multiplied this issue astronomically. But may I remind you of what Paul reminded us of in Romans 12, where he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You you may have had this, have heard this idea summarized uh, at some point as, you know, be in the world but not of the world. Listen, if, 
you are a follower of Jesus, your values should be different than those who don't follow Jesus. Our minds are focused on things above, not on earthly things. And, and for some of us in here today, we need this renewed perspective, right? So, so going back to some of the things we talked about earlier, this, this may mean that you tell your coach that your kid is going to miss a practice during the week so they can attend church and develop relationships with peers who are believers and grow in their relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you something? It will be okay if they miss a practice. And if not, okay, bye, right? Or that may mean busting into your kid's room at 8 p.m. at night and deciding that you're just gonna take them on a spontaneous dessert date. You're gonna take them to Chili's and y'all are gonna get a lava cake and you're just gonna sit there and you're gonna help them unplug and you're gonna spend that time enjoying a nice dessert and making sure your kids or your grandkids know that their grades do not dictate their value or who they are. That is not who they are. This may mean that you don't drive a 2019 vehicle so that you can take that 500 plus dollar a month payment and put it towards being a generous person, right? This, this may mean that you look at your schedule and you let go of one thing that would help you release some of this anxiety that you feel consumed by. Can, can, I, get on a, can I get on a soapbox real quick? I got the microphone, I can, right? Here's the thing. When you are looking at your schedule to give something up, to free up some time, that should not be serving in the church. That is not the thing you should say, you know what, I'm super busy. Like I, I've read the Bible a lot. I, I've not found it yet where Jesus is like, oh, you're so tired. I'm sorry. Listen, why don't you stop serving my church and building the kingdom? That will make it better. Right, like that's not a thing, right? My, but my point is this, our focus should not be this life. It's the next life. But it requires a renewed perspective. And for some, it requires a reset. And for all of us, it requires work. And so may you hear the words of the Lord loud and clear this morning, be strong and get to work. So thus far, the book of Haggai has challenged us with the need for renewed priorities and a renewed perspective. And the final thing that we can learn this morning through this text is the reminder of a renewed promise. A renewed promise. You know, one individual that could easily be overlooked in the book of Haggai is who we can learn our last lesson from, and it's a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. But who is this guy? Well, we learn in chapter one that he's the governor of the province. But if you do a little bit more studying on Zerubbabel, you will quickly uh, uncover that he is the grandson of Jehoiakim, and therefore, he is in the royal line of David. In our story today, he's the one who's been receiving these messages from Haggai. So let's read together the last words of encouragement that we found, find in Haggai and see what we can learn from Zerubbabel and as well as ourselves. Look with me at verses 21. It says, Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth, 
And I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. And I will overturn their chariots and riders and the horses will fall and their riders will kill each other. But when this happens, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will honor you, Zerubbabel. I will make you like a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord, for I have chosen you and I, the Lord of heaven's army, have spoken. There's something really cool in this text. Notice the comparison Zerubbabel receives to a signet ring. Well, what actually is a signet ring? Well, I'm glad you asked. I've got a picture of one. Uh, that obviously, this is not a real one, but it, you know, Google says it is, so if the internet says it, it's got to be true, right? Um, so here's a picture, though, of what a signet ring could look like. Now, during this time, ancient kings used these type of rings to demonstrate authority and honor. Listen to this explanation. A signet contained a symbol unique to a particular king, and they would seal official documents with soft wax impressed with the king's signet, kept on a ring on his finger. Such a seal certified the document as genuine and carrying the full weight of the office of the king. Now this is super important because years earlier, Zerubbabel's grandfather, Jehoiakim, had lost his throne when he was deported to Babylon. You see, we are told in Jeremiah 22, verse 24, that God had pictured Jehoiakim as a signet ring being removed from God's finger. Now, this was a really big deal because it seemingly broke the promise that Israel's Messiah would come from the Davidic line. But now we're reading here in this text that God calls Zerubbabel the signet ring, but this time it won't be taken off and removed. You see, by stating this, God was reversing the judgment and renewing his promise that the Davidic line would not die out, but one day would give the world a savior. And this is why you find Zerubbabel's name in the genealogy of Jesus. You see, this message, it must have encouraged Zerubbabel to stay on the job and finish the work that God had given him to do. And likewise, this message should greatly encourage us in our work to do the hard things needed for a reset in our lives. For you see, the Davidic line was fulfilled and the Savior did come. And his name was Jesus, God's only son. And God laid our sins on him and punished our sin through him. And it is in Jesus' obedient death that God fulfills and vindicates his righteousness and imputes or credits, credits it to us. And he rose from the grave after three days, forever defeating death. And watch this, because of this, we now have access to be God's signet ring. You see, when you give your life to Jesus, the divine exchange occurs, right? Our sin on Christ, his righteousness on us. And at that moment, you have access to his power and his blessing and his favor. And he honors you and empowers you through the Holy Spirit. And church, listen to me, that's great news. 
That's great news. And it's news that we should never get over. Because listen, I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for a God who gives us truth from the book of Haggai of a people who he loved enough that he would give them another chance to start building his temple instead of their personal homes. And I'm also really thankful that this same God shows us this same grace and allows us to have moments of reset and repentance, especially when we get caught up in building our kingdoms instead of his kingdom. And so as we close this morning, the question that you have to answer is this. Where are you in all of this?